0: Welcome back to Radar, the only music podcast showcasing the creative output here at ICMP. In each episode, we're joined by artists, students, and industry professionals to take an in-depth look into their musical journey, as well as the projects that they're passionate about. I'm James Arlington, I'm an artist and producer, and in this episode I'm joined by Ian Ramage, the Vice President of Repertoire and Marketing at BMG. As well as talking about the music business degree that Ian teaches on here at ICMP, we discussed earning revenue as an independent artist, the accessibility of the creative arts, and how Ian got himself into the music business. Well, first of all, Ian, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure, it's lovely to see you again. Yeah, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Too long. Time flies though when you're having fun, eh? Of course. It's probably been over a year now, I'd say. Maybe just under, but for the listeners that don't know, I had you as a music business tutor in my first year here at ICMP. Mm -hmm. And it feels like so much has changed since then. It aged me quite severely, actually, that year, but I think I'm recovered now. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. Well, without trying to make you feel old here, and you've sort of been a part of the music industry for quite some time now. And um, as we sit here today, we, you know, we're sort of coming towards the end of 2023. What would you say has have been some of the the biggest shifts in, in your work since you started?
1: Okay, that's a, a, a big and broad
0: question. I thought I'd start with a big one.
1: I suppose the biggest shift in terms of core discipline, I made the very... D- very accidental, not by design, jump from record company marketing over to um, music publishing a and um, 10 years into my career. So that altered the perspective I was doing it from um, quite quite fundamentally. Uh, as it happened, it, it was a very good thing because it's it served, in retrospect, it served to give me um, the benefit of, of quite a wide angle lens perspective across the, the whole process. But then again, since that time um, and that that time was 1996, I left EMI records in September 95 and started a, the old BMG publishing in April of, of 96. so that was a big change. but since that time um, the end of the of that century, you know the change has been utterly profound. Um, for all of us within the business, taking stock, of course, of the, the digitization of, of pretty much everything. So that has probably been... Actually, yeah, I would say the change to a, from an analogue to a digital world um,
0: has been a more profound change in the day-to-day operation of, of what we do and how we do it. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we were saying just before we came on that, you know, even the courses themselves that, that students are now... Coming onto and especially some of our newer students, you know, every year they're having to be rewritten because there's so much shift in terms of digital marketing, in terms of streaming platforms and the functions and and the purposes behind them that it can be quite hard to keep up, especially with the introduction of TikTok music, you know, YouTube music, how artists are getting paid. I suppose that when you were doing publishing A&R at BMG over those twelve years, that it was it was a completely different world back then. Yeah,
1: it's fair to say it was. I, I like to try and maybe try and safeguard myself against um, total obsolescence, but partly to restore one's faith in what. Why did we join? Why are we doing this? And that is the the notion that the single most important thing is the creativity is the well i think the song but certainly the music more broadly and even although the way it manifests itself as a a marketing entity and indeed the way in which it's created has changed so significantly the magical human thing about here's a piece of music that connects uh, from the point of view of the creator in the first instance and the joy that brings them and the spread thereafter to other people's ears and sensibilities. That thing, which is an innately human thing, is very pure and very wonderful and should be
0: treasured and respected from here to eternity. I think that's incredibly profound. Thank you, Ian. And I think that the one thing that I've noticed, even as a student and sort of the work that I do in the industry now, is that there will always be that space. no matter how music is consumed, there's always going to be a space for people to sit down and play you something that they've written or, or something that they've worked on. no matter the context behind it or no matter where it's going, you know that that heart of music as an entity will always exist.
1: yeah, I th- I, th- I think so. and I think that I suppose the discipline. Upon those of us in the business, is, is just finding the the optimum way to sustain that balance. That you know, it, it, I often joke in my one of the cliches I trot out that you were you were one of many victims of this. <laughs> this is all about um, you know this this the skilled marriage of those two words, music and business. And the business is largely a a digital, a fast moving digital phenomenon now. Um, but perish all of us. If we're not able to you know harness the the music itself i mean and by that i mean the the core creativity because of course the way in which it's produced is is digital but the you know that magic at the source of it the idea um the expression uh, the basic demo if you like that's that's very precious indeed and i, I and I, I continue to feel the need to emphasize how important that is
0: yeah, and I, I mean, in the past, you've you've worked with some some of the biggest acts, arguably of all time, in in your work at BMG and EMI, and you know a lot of those artists recently have been have been fighting for the rights of artists to be paid fairly on streaming services. I know that quite recently, uh, bands like The Cure and, and and Led Zeppelin were sort of in the headlines in terms of the revenue that they were generating, and Spotify recently. Uh, announced that they were making changes to the way that artists are paid. And I think that now in a digital world where any artist can go online and, and put their music wherever they want it to be, that, you know, so- something has to give. And I suppose that the work that you do as VP, Head of Repertoire at BMG now is making sure that the artists are being seen by a wider audience, not just the UK. For instance, an artist here at ICMP May put their music through a distributor like DistroKid and and have no idea of the scale that that could reach. So, I suppose my question is, how has that changed for you since you started working at BMG in terms of reach for artists? Because I know that now you're ensuring that these UK musicians get proper exposure to the market in the US. Yeah. But for the smaller artists, what do you what do you think has changed over time and, and the way that they can sort of grow?
1: Well, I think that is the the biggest single problem is. Yeah, you're right. The, the the model has evolved to um, at least take a bit more stock of or pay more respect towards, you use the example of the, the cure, Led Zeppelin, big established known acts getting a fairer share of the substantial pie that they've created. And of course, that's really important. Um, and I think it's great that there are lobbying bodies to make that so and chip away at the idea that, you know, the the most important single share of 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 money into the business, should really should find its way back to the creator. Um, get that. I do actually think that it's a more important issue to tackle the remuneration that the the new unheard of startup artist is getting. I think that's actually a bigger problem. Mm. Not because I don't care about the fairness of income for. Robert Plant and Co. or or Robert Smith and Co. I do. Um, But I think it's more important that an artist, a new young artist is encouraged to think it's at least worthwhile. Um, And that they should be able to earn a decent living from, as providing that they're any good, of course, Um, if they're going to hone their their craft, and they're going to, be seen to have a genuinely powerful original body of work, them to be able to earn, you know, a subsistence 25 grand a year or something is a more important important benchmark than, you know, a branded act being able to achieve 40% rather than 30% of the income stream, especially because the acts that we tend to cite in these instances, just as you did then, they're all artists that have been given their platform that have that have that have achieved their brand identity in a previous analog age and the bottom line is to be frank acts of that nature can always make money completely outside the streaming economy they they just need to put a show on sale and and you know that 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 ticket route is the benefit that the established branded act has that the new developing artists simply cannot have. And I think that's a that's a bigger gap that we, collectively, the royal we of the business, need to try and fill, not in order to make everything more just and fair, we're never going to achieve perfection in that regard, no one ever said it was fair, but rather to think about the next generation of artists. You know, this is where we really need to take this seriously and, and provide encouragement, sustenance, support for the, new, the next generation of, of acts. Because pretty soon you can't, you know, it's rumoured they're going to do it again, but Coldplay cold and a headline glass would be great. Even they're going to die at some point. So you have mm. to be thinking towards the next generation. If you add that towards the frightening degree of small venues closing down or not being able to operate and needing support to keep it going, we are so bad as a as not not as a music business, but as a as a national economy for failing to subsidize, support this business of all businesses, most of the others in which we underperform against you know, the global benchmark of, of par. In the business of music, the UK has been so powerful, it's punched above its weight in this more than any other area, I suppose you could argue there might be some sporting exceptions, but broadly speaking, popular music, you know, per per head of population, we've been staggeringly successful. So why successive governments have failed to understand and appreciate and harness the the pure commercial potency of that and invest in terms of time resources as well as money in in building an infrastructure for the next generation so we can continue to benefit in that way. I find it staggering.
0: And I think as well that a lot of young musicians now might be a bit disheartened by that because although it's easy enough to put your music out there now and it's accessible enough to an extent, it can still be hard to... Find that sense of you know is this going to pay? Is this going to be a passion that can be turned into payment? And a lot of artists, especially people who are sort of doing everything DIY, writing, producing, you know, self-distributing, although they may earn a hundred percent of their royalties, their royalties are very little. And I think as an industry, there's there's things in place that are happening to try and st- to try and change that. But like you said, it's it's never going to be perfect. We're still a long way to go.
1: No, I don't. You know, I think if you're a if you're a an independent musician, you are a business person, a business businesswoman or businessman, and by taking that responsibility, you are accepting the, the, those fundamental princi- principles of entrepreneurship, which which constitutes risk. So there is a risk that the time, money, effort, energy, everything you put into it will not um, provide. Um, an expected return. You can't really do a return on investment graph for an independent musician. It's simply not realistic. So there's always a risk. And one therefore has to accept that part of the return, part of the value is in itself the beauty, the reward of being a creative person. So yeah, we've got to get over the notion that it should be fair, it should be right. That never has been the case. In a pre-internet age, it was never the case. Artists have always been exploited by business. Uh, I just think that as we allegedly progress uh, and as systems and procedures become more transparent, they should thus become fairer and and we should should be progressing in the the extent to which we can at least be clear about where that money is going and how, how it might be shared out going forwards and I'm not at all sure that we are progressing at anything like the speed that that is required here to give exactly as you say to give confidence in the next generation of musicians to continue
0: investing in themselves and their talent in that way well I think that's also why it's so important for uh, young people and and sort of any creatives to have an understanding of you know, a little bit of the ins and outs of the music business. And courses like this that are now available at ICMP and Abbey Road Institute, BIM, you know, Point Blank, those sorts of places, I think it's really important to sort of nurture and celebrate that new talent because it, at the start it can just feel so daunting and frightening for an industry like this to sort of get yourself into.
1: Yeah, I'd agree totally. It's it's a, a one of the big changes from... Earlier generations, um, we, I was talking today in a, in, in a class, um, a, a first year class um, about the, um, the extent to which of the 60s and 70s generation of rock musicians, the extraordinarily high number of, of, uh, of, of rock stars had gone to art college. And we're trying to sort of conclude with well, that. I mean, they're all that art is the same creative art as music. And in some cases, no doubt, there's a there's a legitimate overlap, and that makes sense. But, but really and truly, the single biggest reason for all that generation going to art college is because that was the closest thing that there was at that time in the 1960s to the infrastructure, the camaraderie, the human spirit and support that is provided by the likes of ICMP and you know effectively it was sort of trying to substitute that, that plot that we, we are now lucky to have, I think you're right.
0: And there's still talks about, you know, art being more accessible in sort of working class environments and and the creative industry sort of coming together to make sure that everyone can access them. But I think that in, in terms of sort of these, these universities that are offering these brand new courses that are sort of revolutionary in terms of things like digital marketing and music, live event and festival management, you know, 30 years ago, we we sort of didn't have that. And the rock stars of those, of those days did, didn't even have that sort of thing available to them. So I think now Now it's more important than ever to sort of cherish that and and to really sort of look on the next generation of people that are going to be filling those festivals, headlining those shows that may have come from a course like this and instead of coming from a sort of more singular course like sort of art, design. There's so many courses now that are available that are just specific so that people who really have a passion and a drive can can do exactly that thing and, and you know 30 years ago we, d- we didn't have that we didn't that's absolutely true and i i think um i've always said and i
1: i, I still genuinely believe it, it is important to keep this into a a rounded perspective what i mean by that it's it's clearly an in, immensely positive development that this intelligence this education is available, some of which is very, very specific about the various different elements of our business. I think it's it's, a, it's 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 excellent. But I also think from the point of view of the creative musician who does not aspire to be a music business person, that he isn't running a business on the side as you are, for example, that he's, that he's in the purely, no, I'm a, 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 a writer or a producer or a singer-songwriter or whatever, to me it seems important that... It's understood the value in these wonderful courses actually lay in qualifying the, shall we say, the the more purely creative end of the spectrum of students to understand the headline points, the the key issues in how the business works in order that they are better qualified to delegate those responsibilities when it comes time to appoint a manager or have an agent on board, understanding the rudiments of of how the live business works is so valuable in in avoiding having the wool pulled or just being naive in those encounters. So it's as much as sort of a, I think, an entry level, let's understand the basics across the whole picture. Uh, I just think that's really, really healthy so that that, that that intelligence is there and available to draw on should they need to. It, it isn't about being an expert. And I, I live in fear of encouraging a, a, an exciting young musician to bury their creativity under a weight of on- and offline resources that I'm hoisting upon. You've got to read this, you've got to study that, you've, you've got to do this social media thing well. Again, it's always about balance, isn't it? Having access to that information, fabulous, understanding the perspective in which it should be taken in relative to those other things. Because, you know, again, without the creator writing the song, making the tune, making the music exist, the business isn't that there is no business. So we have to remember it's that way around.
0: And I think as well, especially for people just surrounding themselves in an environment where they can be creative and they can sort of nurture their, nurture their talent and, and be mentored by people in a, either a university environment or any educational environment, I think is more valuable than ever. Um, but despite the work that you do at uh, you know ICMP, BMG, the Abbey Road Institute, are you still doing sort of freelance work in management and consultancy?
1: No, but only through... There isn't time, a there isn't time in the day, and B I'm very old now and, and partially mm. senile. I can't do I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> no, I'd like. But joking aside, I do like the diversity of that sort of portfolio of mixed things. In an actual fact, to be honest, I'm I'm working towards trying to achieve a bit more of that in my in my working life because mm. I found it really beneficial. I love doing the teaching learning experience. I think it harmonises what I'm trying to do at BMG, but my, my objective is to make my BMG um, life far, far more concise in order to free up time to teach, to study, and to, yeah, maybe do some consultancy work that is, shall we say, less firmly aligned to the corporate bureaucracy. Because I find that if you spend any meaningful length of time at any one of the companies, this is no way, this is a knocking BMG, who have been very good to me and a company I've loved working with. If you're around, as a, as a sort of senior manager for any length of time, you inevitably get drawn into the mechanics of the corporation and that's a product of, of business. Of course, I blooming hate it and I don't want to do that. And I, to be again, to be per- perfectly candid, at this stage in the game, that is to say, in the relative even song of one's career, I want to be doing the things I really like. I want to be Mm. talking to artists about their music. I want to be the conduit from them into the business. I want to talk to managers about strategy. I want to be listening to music and thinking about it and, and trying to use my experience to help guide what they're doing with their... Next piece of music. I do not want to be filling in forms with HR people and doing computer uploads. I just, you know, so that's a person. Maybe that's just a personal affectation, but it's pretty clear to me that the purity of the connection with the artist community is is the great bit, and I, I want to try and do a bit more of that.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, we're sort of in the perfect environment for that to occur in terms of there's there's so much talent on spread across so many different courses here at ICMP, but a lot of them may not necessarily have that sort of understanding of, you know, what they need to do in terms of rights, in terms of, you know, performance collection, that sort of thing. And and even, you know, some of the people I know now that are sort of going into artist management at the very start of their career in artist management, the first thing that people say is, you know, the music's great, but let's think about, you know, how how can we make this more accessible in terms of earning money from it and in terms of, you know, really Nurturing your craft and thinking about what's important going forward. And I think that those principles remain the same for an established artist and even for someone who's trying to make some money in it starting out. I think that those principles will always be the same, of you know, just continuing to learn and grow and and really nurture your acts, no matter what stage of your career that you're at. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that's that's true. I think the speed of change that we're all subject to means that there is certainly no um, no right or capacity for an established act to be just coasting on their laurels it simply it simply won't work because the the terrain on which they're stood is moving under their feet um, you know assuming that you're ambitious to be continue being successful i suppose you know it is possible if you've got some branded identity to you know fall into that kind of nostalgia circuit thing and and fine that suits some people that, that's abso- absolutely fine but um, I don't think if you really want to maximise the potential income stream and indeed um, public appreciation of what you're doing in the even song of a creative career for a branded out, you do need to be up with the program. You need to be advised by people with a with, with a very smart, switched on digital orientation. There's no question about that.
0: Yeah, and even now, there's there's platforms like sort of Music Business Worldwide, Music Business Weekly, and and these sort of online publications that. A sort of keeping track of everything that's going on. So even for artists that may not necessarily be studying business or, or, or have a business mindset, they can still be made aware of you know, what's going on, where the issues lie, and and maybe what they can do in the future to sort of help combat that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. There's there's no shortage of information out there. It's pretty easy to make an argument there is simply too much. And if if one of the things that we can do Those of us are lucky to have had some experience in the business and give it some, I suppose, more steely-eyed perspective across what's going on and what all that luxury of intelligence are. There's various different sources of information are offering a little bit of curation as to actually don't waste your time with that. Think about this. These are the important issues to do. I think that becomes part of the task in hand, really, because it's simply... And that's not unlike the process that the music consumer is, uh, is addressing consciously or otherwise. My goodness, there is so much choice here. There is so much music and, and, and visuals and st- stuff to think about, to consume. Where do I even begin? And That's the biggest single challenge, I think, of the, the digital age in which we find ourselves and it, it works on many levels and, and curating through the
0: information available within the business is, is one such level. Well I think without without inflating your ego too much Harry and I think that sort of the longer I've known you the more I've realized that you know your knowledge of the industry is just completely unparalleled and I think <laughs> that you know what made you want to get into music education and sort of pass this knowledge on.
1: It's a really good question and I I'll, I'll answer it honestly and and, it, and and the answer is I didn't intend to. What happened was I got fired from a job, and yeah, everyone who's worked in the music business has got fired. You know, those that haven't got fired are lying about not having got fired. <laughs> so that if you're going to stick around for a while, that happens, and mm. it's no shame. It just is, of course. Um, and it was in one of those periods I was between jobs, in inverted commas, and someone suggested, "Oh, you should, you should, well, you should do some teaching." You know, because you, you, I did it. I did it, the first ten years of my career. I was in marketing. I was in record company marketing, and that meant. I was not phased by standing up in front of a a room full of usually bored salespeople, talking to them, enthusing to them, you know, about the new Kate Bush record or whatever it was. I found that very natural and very easy. largely because I loved the new Kate Bush record, and where's the problem? You know, I'm going to share that. Um, so I was quite. It's not good. I was, you know, I was confident about doing that thing. And and one of my pals said, you should you should try this teaching thing. There's a few of these colleges now. And it was a, a pal who introduced me to Ken. And Ken Foreman, bless him, gave me, I hadn't got a clue how any of this worked. And he very gently gave me a crash course in the logistics of how music education worked, how it was changing, what place I might be able to play within it. And it was he and a number of other great people, ICMP, Sophie Daniels was one of them, just really encouraged me and could see there is a value in the, if you like the insider knowledge I had, not through being the old guy who used to work in the business, but by being the one who still did work in the business. Because by then I'd got I got another job quite quickly, and I chose to share my time with you know a proper in-house music business job um, with doing the the teaching learning thing because I found it so rewarding. You know the idea of well learning from a class full of eighteen to twenty five or you know broad, broadly speaking, a, a class of young people who had opinions and cared about music was a fantastic source of intelligence for me, especially because know yeah, my girlfriend's got a couple of children. I've not had kids myself, so I haven't had that benefit of young people around me all the time expressing opinions about music. This is much better having people that you don't have to feed them or live with them. You just see them a few hours a week and you can learn off them, their hunger, their intelligence, their worries, their fears, but their contemporary perspective on the music that's going on around them. I took that back into the music business and was better informed as a music executive, whatever the hell that means, because of my teaching learning experience, I use the term advisedly, at ICMP. And that's why I went and did some stuff at other places as well and have enjoyed a variety of different experiences. But, you know, I do have an awful lot to ken to getting this started in this and I love coming back here as the sort of base camp of where that started and it's, it's a completely different prospect now. It's evolved so much. But the variety of different modules available Um, obviously the level of 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 teaching facility is 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 completely transformed since then whenever it was 10 12 years ago Um, so it's been a positive experience and and I'd never want to not do it because I do think you know every day's a school day I've got loads you're learning all the time in both directions and um, I think it's a real blessing to be able to genuinely feel like that so that's why I've chosen to continue doing it. Uh, and it's a nice reciprocal thing, isn't it? Giving what you know about a business or a particular discipline or an area of of expertise and, and getting back something in return. And um, yeah,
0: happy days. Long may it rain. Absolutely. And I think it's really valuable as well to sort of have those two sides where, you know, obviously the, the students are here to learn, but learning from that group of young people, I suppose, is really valuable. And you know, your career is taking you sort of all over the world, working with artists and bands that most people could only dream of spending time with. Um, just to finish things off, I, I suppose is uh, one thing that I'd really want to know. Just from from being a previous student of yours, is is there any particular show or interaction with with a musician that you've done work with that's continued to stand out to you after all of this time? And if so, could you could you maybe tell us a bit about it?
1: Right. Okay, that's a good question. There are. There are a few things. I mean, I remain intoxicated by the live music moment when a musician, especially if if there's one that you've known for a while, and and, and the performance that just challenges you. I still think live is so important. I I had earlier on this year, at the front end of this year, in February 2023, I went to New York to see... um, Elvis Costello, who's a writer uh, and artist with whom I've had the great privilege to work with for, for some little while now. I've signed him twice, the old BMG and and, and, and latterly mm. in 2021 at the new one. And he's always been, you know, after Lennon McCartney. I've been my favourite favorite songwriter. And I, I'm surprised and, at myself about still being able to get shocked by his... Capacity to yeah challenge himself and and, and in this this environment in New York he played a series of a sequence of ten consecutive shows a relatively small venue, but the challenge he 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 put in, put down for himself was to play he, play he played ten shows consecutive shows and each night he committed to play twenty songs but each of those nights would be different wow. so two hundred different songs madness I saw the first two and they were so I tried desperately hard to get back for the M1, I just couldn't make it. But that's a moment, stood in that place, watching, and, you know, just absolutely knocked out by the versatility, the hunger, the appetite of, of, you know, frankly, a man that old, that senior, that wise. He was still prepared to put himself out there and and challenge himself so boldly. I, thought, I just thought that was utterly extraordinary. and. And I do get, you know, in a, yeah, I suppose it is in a childishly vain way, and that is a big payoff. The fact this bloke knows who I am, the fact, I still can't get my head around that, And you know, the little vignette in direct answer to your question. After I did the first signing, he invited me to Dublin to hear the mixing of the record he was then working on, and... I was. I'd only. Done, I'd only seen him at the gig in the in the courting environment. If you like, this is the first encounter. Now we are literally in business together, and it was at U two Studio in Dublin, and he's mixing this record, and he. Um, so oh, have you come straight from the airport? Yeah. Oh, you're hungry before he plays. Well, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, no, no. Let me and Elvis Costello made me a cheese sandwich, and I can still see this in my like a little video. I mean, <laughs> it's utterly pathetic. I know. to... But little things that sort of, that makes it, that's worth more than any paycheck or any sort of that. Crikey, this, do you want pickle like, on oh, that? I can't believe it. <laughs> the most basic human thing. And, and that that's happened a few times. And uh, I don't mean the cheese sandwich specifically. I mean by way <laughs> of illustration. A fairly ridiculous little human exchange being wonderfully informative because there is... This magician who can weave these songs out of nothing and change people's lives, including mine, in so doing, can make a pretty passable cheese sandwich as well. Um, and it's you know, I know it's staying the blinking obvious, but the you know, the core humanity that is still attached to this great creative presence is you know, it's humbling to witness. So, there's one. Um, I could go on, but it, yeah, it's um, you know, in conclusion, we should remain excited, humble, privileged by this incredible opportunity to, to be excited about working. I'm doing the best job in the world. And that is, you know, unlike musicians, I, get, I still get a regular paycheck and I'm, I'm very mindful of that incredible privilege, you know. And, and also that, that privilege is one built upon the fact that if I'd been good enough, I would have tried to be that musician the good luck for me was discovering early enough in the story that I wasn't good enough either to play on the left wing for Manchester United or indeed be a professional musician. So I've happened upon this extraordinarily fortunate position of being able to work within the business of music and
0: learn so much from musicians old and new and remain forever stimulated as a result. And I think even now, you know, now that that I'm growing my business, now that I'm growing Birdbush, I think that even now to have the metaphorical cheese sandwich with with sort of <laughs> anyone that I work with just having those sort of delightfully informal moments is sometimes more valuable than any paycheck and I completely agree with you there. Well said. Ian thank you so much for joining me. Great to see you James thanks a lot for this. Catch up soon. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Radar. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate it five stars through your podcast platform. Remember, you can catch us on social media through all of the ICMP channels. And if you want to get involved in future episodes or suggest guests, you can email us radarpodcast at icmp.ac.uk.